0: word comes this morning from John chapter 3 verse 16 and would you please join me as I read the words on the screen for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life today I light the candle of love Amen. All right, well, you guys can be seated and good morning, Providence. Uh, My name is Andrew. I am one of the pastors here. And uh, if you've been with us for a while, it's been about six or seven weeks since I've been able to get up here and preach uh, with you guys. Because if you don't know, my wife and I just had our first child a few weeks ago. It's been awesome, it has been exciting. And exhausting and emotional, and all sorts of random feelings. And so, uh, we're doing great though. And I do want to say before we start, uh, man, Bailey and I just, we love this church. Like, you guys have been so gracious to us. The, the staff team just completely picked up the slack for a couple weeks to let me just stay at home and be with Bailey and the kid. And, uh, so many of you guys have served us in different ways. You guys have brought us meals. You've prayed for us. You you guys have been unbelievable. And so, uh, we're all doing well. We're slow. Slowly sleeping a little bit more day by day. Hopefully, so uh, we're doing good. I'm also excited because today we are uh, concluding our series in an uh, Advent in the season of Advent uh, by the, talking about the topic of love. All right, so so what we've done the last four weeks is we've looked at kind of the historic themes of Advent, which are hope, peace, joy. And love. And so each week we, we come and we just ask the question how did the, the coming of Christ, how did Jesus coming to earth this Christmas season, how, how did that bring the world these things? And so this morning we're going to look at how does the coming of Christ offer us love? Because I think most of us know, or at least most of us will recognize, that love is one of the, the greatest desires of every human soul, right? Like we just, we need love. We need to know that, that we're loved, that we're approved of, that someone cares for us, that we're uh, validated, right? I mean, I mean it's, it's what we, we strive for that feeling, to, to feel loved. We, we thrive as human beings when we feel most loved and cherished and, and approved of, right? This is just the, the idea of love is just a thread at the baseline of, of what it means to be human, is to need love, right? And just think about um, any movie that you watch. Now, I know this season with the Hallmark, Christmas stuff, this is like, I mean, the stereotype, this is the time where you think about love stories. But not even, just not even that, but think about just any other movie that you've watched. I would venture to guess that there, there, there's probably some sort of love story tied in, right? I was thinking this week about even like the the Avenger movies. Like we have movies about superheroes who are saving the world but every single one has some sort of love story in it right like any movie any good story that is told has some sort of relational story or something to do with love or uh, or maybe think about it this way it, it, maybe some of you guys know uh, uh some adults or, or some grown grown ups or whatever you, i guess adults um who who act just really uh insecure Maybe they, 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 there's just this drive that, that they just crave affection. They, everything they do, you can just tell. They just want to know, do you like me? Do you approve of me? Am I lovely to you, right? Maybe some of us are those people, or you can think about those people in your mind. Well, what do we often think or say when we think about those people? It might even be a joke, but we say things like, man, they, they must not have been held as a child, right? Or, man, she just must not have been told, I love you, and she was growing up, Right? And what does that mean? That means that we understand that as you're developing, if you don't experience love, it's going to cause some deep issues in your life, right? If you don't experience that in your soul and in your heart, you are going to to just act weird and be insecure and crave affection from somewhere else. I mean, all of us do this. It's, It's a humanity issue that we need to be loved, and oftentimes we will maybe consciously or often subconsciously just be thinking about the question, am I loved? In this situation with this person, do they approve of me? Am I lovely in their sight? All right. do, they, do they approve? Do they love me? Do they care about me? Now, I, I want to this morning uh, shift the question a little bit, because while I think that's everybody, we're just hardwired to want the love and affection of people when we ask those kind of questions this morning, I want to shift that a little bit to the question: Does God love me? So, not just do the people around me love me, but does, does God love me? Or maybe is there any way to know for sure if God loves me? Like, can I be confident that God loves me? Now, if you're a, if you're a skeptic in the room today, maybe you're maybe you're not a believer. You're not a Christian. Um, I want to ask for you just to, to track with me, just to roll with me a little bit, because if there is a God, if God is real and he is uh, perfect and the most glorious, the creator of all things, if that is the God that created you and me, then it's a pretty logical question to just ask, well, would would that God care about me? Does that God love me? If God is real, it's a it's a pretty logical question to just ask, well, how does he feel towards me? Does he love me? Because if there is a desire that's in all of our souls, like at the core of our beings, if there's a desire to experience love, and if there's a God who created us, then the greatest satisfaction and security of being loved would come from being loved by that God, right? If he's the one who created us and he is all powerful and and all just majestic and we need to be loved, then by Him loving us, would offer us the greatest amount of security and satisfaction. And the good news for us this morning, I'm just going to give you my punchline just right away, is that love loves the unlovely. Love loves the unlovely. So I want you to get that phrase in your mind. Write that down. Whatever you need to do, just get that in your mind. And if it's kind of confusing to you, which I know it is, hopefully by the end it'll be cleared up, right? If I do my job. So, love loves the unlovely. And I want to prove that point to you and why that's such good news from the one simple verse, the one sentence that we just read, John three sixteen, That for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, that verse, as you even read that, as we read that together, might be uh, quite familiar to most of us, right? You've probably heard that. Maybe it's memorized. It's ingrained in your in your mind. But I think what happens is the familiar often grows dull to us, right? You can hear that verse, and it's just like, yeah, I know John 3.16. Right? It just gets dull. It gets kind of bland. But what I want to do this morning is just sit in that one sentence, and I want to just kind of mine out some of the the. Some of the gold that is in this sentence. Uh, Martin Luther once said of this verse that, that it flows like milk and honey. He said, These are the words which are able to make the sad happy and the dead alive if only the heart believes them firmly. He's saying this is the core of the gospel. And if we believe this, if we truly believe this in our core, it will make the sad happy and the dead alive. So here's what we're gonna do. I want to look at this sentence. I want to look at three things from this verse. So if you are um if you're into grammar, which I know probably like all two of you are, uh you'll love the next little bit. But um if you're into grammar, what we're gonna look at in this sentence is just this. We're gonna look at the subject, we're gonna look at the object, and we're gonna look at the verb. All right? So I know college students, you just finished and you're thinking, oh my gosh, don't get grammar. Okay, we're done. That's all you need to know, okay? We're gonna look at the subject. We're gonna look at God, who is the subject of this. Uh, verse. We're going to look at the object where, who who God interacts with, and then we're going to look at the verb and how God interacts. And, And through this, I want us to really grasp that love loves the unlovely. So first, let's think about God. So right away, when this verse begins, we get the subject, right? For God so loved... So what we know, just right off the bat, is that God is the initiator. He's the actor of this verse. Whatever is about to happen, God is the one who initiates. He's the main character in whatever is about to take place. So that should make us ask then, okay, well, who is God? right? If this is the verse, if this is the core of the gospel, if this is the best news ever, and God's the main actor, we should ask, who is God? God. Well, we know that, that God is primarily uh, found, we, we find out the most about God primarily through His Word, through the Bible, through the Scriptures. That, that's where we get our primary information about God. In the Scriptures, we get to know what He's like, what He thinks, who he, how He interacts with people, just really who His character and essence is, and how He deals with situations in, in mankind. So um, think about it like this. If you guys have ever watched a college sports game, so just imagine you're watching a Husker football game, and and, uh, during the game at some point, if you're watching it on TV, what often often happens is the university uh, that's playing will, will show one of their commercials. Have you guys seen this? It's a commercial about the university. So say you're watching the Husker football game, Oftentimes, a University of Nebraska commercial will come on. Now, these commercials, if you've seen them, they're, they're awesome. They're like, you know, 60 seconds, and they show this beautiful just picture of what the university is like. Kind of the character and the essence of the university. So, they'll have pictures and stories of, um, you know, a professor in a classroom, right? And somehow the classroom is like perfectly diverse. There's like four guys and four girls and two whites and two Asians and two blacks. It's just like somehow the campus is just beautifully diverse perfectly and and so you have the, the professor who's all nice and talking to them and then it pans over and you get the scientists in the lab right and they're making some amazing formula and stuff and then it goes to the athletes and you get to see that that's a part of the university and then it goes over and it you know shows you this beautiful uh, grassy area on the campus where people are like playing ultimate frisbee and it just looks amazing and they're, they're showing you hey this is who we are and the whole time there's this like smooth voice over top of it, and this is the University in Nebraska, right? So you get this, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to communicate to you, hey, this is who we are. This is our character, and this is how you could play a part in this. Well, somewhat similarly, I think that's kind of what the scriptures are doing for us in teaching us the character and the essence of God. You know, the scriptures, what they're trying to do is they're trying to communicate this is who God is. This is his character. This is how he relates to to us, to, to mankind. And one of the greatest qualities that we see over and over and over again in the scriptures is most clearly stated, just as blunt as could be in 1 John 4, 8. John writes, God is love. We see that throughout all of the scriptures, this loving characteristic of God. And John just says it, God is love. If you want to know God, know this, God is love. So if we think in terms of those commercials, that's the like main scene in the commercial. That everything else comes out of this essence that God is love. And here's the crazy thing, his love is pure. His love is pure. Righteous. There's no ulterior motive to God's love. There's no lust involved in God's love. There's no partiality in God's love. No uh, selfish gain to God's love. Because while God is love, the Bible also says that He is perfect. He is righteous. He is glorious. There's no hint of sin. There's no stain of wrongdoing. There's no wrong motives. So when John says that God is love, he is the greatest and purest form of love that there ever is. He's the measuring stick. What God does just is loving. It just is love because that is at the core of God's being. Now I think that that concept, that idea is a little bit foreign to us. Because similarly how the Bible communicates characteristics about God, we oftentimes will um, give characteristics to each other or, or to ourselves, right? So, so I may tell you, hey, you are, you are really kind, or, or you are very loyal, or you're trustworthy, right? I'm giving you these characteristics. Now, I could tell you that, but if you were honest with yourself, you would have to say, okay, I might often be kind, but I'm not always kind, right? Or or if I come up to you and I say, hey, I am, I am loyal. Well, if you dug into my past a little bit, you would find many times where I haven't acted out of loyalty, right? Because while we may sometimes carry characteristics, we never are the full embodiment of a characteristic. But that's not the case with God. When the Bible says God is love, it means that everything God does, everything God says, and every way that God acts, it is love. Because that is the essence of his being, it drives how he acts. There's no greater measuring stick to love than simply what God does. And I want to ask before we move on too quickly, is that how you view God? Just, just personally, do you, when you think of God, do you think that I mean, God is love? Do you dwell on the idea that whatever God does is just pure, passionate, and tender love? That he does nothing outside of goodness and love? And if that isn't the, the view that you have of God, I would just ask, would you, would you dwell on that this morning? That at the core of God's being is this just amazing love. It's the nature of our God. And if the Bible says that God is love and he is perfect and glorious and righteous and has no mark of sin or stain or anything, then the next question our minds should have is, Well, where does God place that love, right? If if it's just this amazing love that God acts out of and has, well, where does he place that? What is the object of his affection and love? Well, if we keep reading on in the verse, you you get to the object fairly quickly. It says, for God so loved the world, that the object of this love of God is the world. Now, it, it is a little bit interesting that John specifically uh, uses this word for uh, world. Because he actually uses that word uh, almost more than anybody else in the New Testament. But when he uses the, the word world, he oftentimes speaks of it in, in fairly negative terms. Let me just give you a few from his gospel and then from the, one of the letters that he wrote later on. In John 1, he says, The world was made by God. But the world doesn't know or love God. In John 7, he goes so far to say the world actually hates Jesus. John 17, he says the world hates the words of God, the commands of God, the laws of God. In 1 John, his letter that he wrote to the church, in 1 John 2, he commands us, Do not love the world. He says, Don't love the world, for in the world is sin, that sin comes from the world. And in 1 John 5, he says, I don't want you to be of the world. I want you to actually overcome it. I want you to overcome this world. So, as you can see over and over again, John specifically speaks of the the wickedness of the world, the sin of the world, the rebellion of the world. He even goes so far to say, Do not love the world. So while John three sixteen says God has this immense love for the world, the rest of John tells us that this object of God's love that the world it's undeserving, it's unlovely. That the world has not earned God's love for the world. The world has not loved God. The world has not followed God. For many of us, I, I think that we can often fall into the trap when I say things like that. We can kind of agree and we can nod and we can say, yeah, I mean, no kidding, right? I look at the news, yeah, the world is a, a wicked place, right? Like I look out there and I see all these people and they're just wicked and they don't love God and they're, they don't deserve God's love. And we look at the, the murderers and the pedophiles and we think, yeah, no, no kidding. I mean, the world's going to a hell in a handbasket, right? We, <laughs> there's no way that God should love the world. But you want to know the unfortunate truth? The Bible actually says that it's not just an out there problem. It's an in here problem. You know, the Bible doesn't make this distinction between some people who are made lovely and some people who are made unlovely. Some people who have, were just born naturally deserving God's love and some people who were born wicked and don't deserve God's love. You know, the Bible only makes really one distinction there. It says there's God and there's everybody else. There is God who is perfect in all things and there is everybody else who has run away in sin. There's the God who created us for a relationship and there's everyone else who has rebelled and run from him. It's not a kind of us and them. There's this idea of all of us have sinned. All of us have rebelled. All of us naturally are undeserving of God's love. In other words, all of us at our core are unlovely. Now this is going to be I think one of the hardest things for us to to kind of hear today to really at a soul level here today uh, because th- this notion just kind of rubs us the wrong way. I think there's a, a cultural lie that we often hear that that even for a lot of us that we uh, can believe in and I think it goes something like this that that if God is good and loving right if we can concede that point God is good and loving then he should treat me always in a in a good and affirming type way, right? So uh, if I suffer, like if tragedy hits me or if I want to live this way and God is saying live this way, then God's not loving, right? Then he can't be good if he kind of rubs against how I'm living or what I want to do. And so we think, man, if I want to live my life a certain way and God says, no, that's wrong, you should live this way, we think, well, God's not good and loving then. If God is good, he would just be tolerant of everything that I do and everything that I am. Or we hear this, this idea of, man, if, if I live a life completely against God, rejecting God, not wanting him, doing everything my own way, and that God would send me to hell, then he's not loving. Right? He's not good then. And what we've done is we've completely flipped the script here. And instead of God being the measuring stick for love, now it's simply how I feel or how I want to live. And if God treats me in an affirming way, then he's loving. If he doesn't, then he's unloving. You see, the assumption behind all of that is simply this. I deserve God's love, and if he doesn't give it to me, the problem's with him, not me. Right? That's just kind of the mindset that many of us have. That, look, I, I deserve God to love me. And if he doesn't, then the problem is with God. Yet as we've seen, the, the Bible will consistently say that none of us deserves God's love. The whole framework is off because we don't deserve the love of God. Not you, not me, not the best of us, not the worst of us. No one deserves the love of God. And the reason for that is because God has created us to be in a perfect relationship with us. That's how we were created, to be filled with God's love, to be in this relationship, to have joy and to worship him. And all of us have run away. All of us have sinned. All of us have rebelled against that relationship. And if God is as perfect and glorious and majestic as the Bible says, then any small act we do against him or his will is egregious. Like it is a vile act to love other things more than the most loving and gracious and beautiful God in the universe. And so uh, let let's just do this quick. I want to run through a couple things because I think this is uh, this is where our hearts are most hard. Right. We have we are phenomenal at justifying the things we do. We are phenomenal at thinking we're better than we are. So let, let me just run through some of these and just think if this might be you. Uh, say you're a, a teenager. Remember back when you were a teenager and you were growing up in your parents' house. Was there ever a time where your parents told you to do something and you just blatantly disobeyed? Right? I mean, was there a time where, where you were supposed to do something and you just actively disobeyed what your parents said? Ever a time where out of frustration and hormones you just say, "I hate you" and like, "I don't want anything to do with you," right? And you you just treat your parents terribly. Any time that you uh, acted sinfully against your siblings as you were growing up. Like all of us, right? I mean, that alone is against the standard and the will of God. And therefore, we don't deserve the love of God. Or think about this for, for college students in the room. You just finished finals, right? So you had this whole semester. Let me just ask you this. Was there ever a time in this semester where uh, maybe you took a little bit of a shortcut that wasn't quite so ethical? Uh, like you wouldn't maybe tell your professor that you did it or maybe you cheated a little bit, but now I know there's justification for everything and so it's not as bad. Or maybe you said you read certain things that you didn't actually read or you said you did certain things for a project that you didn't actually do or, or any of that stuff. If we don't live to a fully uh, ethical standard, we don't meet God's standard, and we don't deserve God's love. Any of that is harm enough to not deserve the love of God. Or, or for, uh, for couples in the room, you, you ever just snap at your spouse for really no reason at all? Maybe you just had a bad day, and you come home, and they have done nothing to you, but you just kind of take it out on them. They're kind of your punching bag a little bit. They didn't deserve that, but they just were there, and so you did it. Maybe you did something completely, like you knew you were being selfish, and it was one of those moments where you said, I just don't care. I'm going to keep doing this, even though you knew you were wrong, right? I mean, any of that goes against God's will for relationships, and in those alone, we don't deserve the love of God. you know, I could go on and on. When you're lonely, you ever run to porn, or you ever run to a bottle, or you ever run to an abusive behavior? You ever treat people just terribly or for your own gain? I mean, Maybe a billion times we do all of this, right? And in any of that, we no longer deserve God's affection and his care because he has a standard for us that we have not met. And while I think that can be hard for some of us to grasp or believe in with our relationship with God, uh, think, about it, think about it this way. Imagine a marriage. Imagine a couple that's married and the wife is just amazing to her husband. So just picture, you know, my wife. She's just amazing in every way. And so she just loves the husband and cares for him. Just, um, you know, just follows his leadership. I mean, everything. She just is this amazing wife to her husband. Yet the husband, in return, is consistently unfaithful. I mean, in every way. There's numerous affairs rarely ever even speaks to his wife unless he wants something or needs something from her. That when he's lonely or wants affection, he'll give some affection just to receive it in return. That when he feels like coming home and spending time, he does. When he feels like being out for a couple weeks, he does. There's no communication. There's no love. He just loves other women more than his own wife. Now, who among us in the room would look at that marriage and say to the wife, he deserves your love well like who cares that he's terrible to you like that doesn't matter who cares that he's had numerous affairs that he's been abusive that he doesn't speak to you that he doesn't even come home half the time that who cares that he loves other people and other women more than you he's deserving of your love right no one none of us would look at that situation and say that why because in the marriage relationship he has not been faithful He has not lived up to his end of the deal. He has not kept his covenant that he made. And so, too, God has been nothing but perfect. He has been nothing but loving. He has been nothing but faithful to his people. And we have run in sin. We have rebelled. We have wanted other things more than him. We have said, you know what, God, I don't want you. I would rather have uh, other people or my career, or my comfort, or more money, or whatever else it might be, and we've said, I love these things more than I love you. We have been incredibly unfaithful, and therefore, we are undeserving of the love of God. We actually deserve abandonment. We deserve separation. We deserve punishment, not love. And yet... The good news of Christmas is that even though God is a majestic and amazing love and even though we are wildly undeserving and unlovely love loves the unlovely. Just hear this verse one more time. For God so loved the world. With all that I just said with all of that packed into those few words for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the unlovely world and the rebellious world of you and I, he gave his only son to it. In other words, God who is love so loved the unlovely that he would not stop at even sending his son to those who didn't deserve his love. And I want us to just think and just dwell on how crazy that is this morning. I remember, remember how vast and glorious and perfect God is, and he would set his perfect love on us, like on you and I. He would say, I love you to the point of sending my son for you. That God entered into history in the form of Jesus, into space and time, into our world out of love. Uh, There was a, there was a, British author, um, Dorothy Sayers. I think she was in the early 1900s. I don't know if any of you have read any of her stuff, but she was a phenomenal writer. She uh, was one of the first women to graduate from uh, Oxford University, and she was most well-known for this series of mystery novels that she had. And in these mystery novels, uh, her lead character, the main character was a, a detective named Lord Peter Whimsey. And in the first couple novels, it's just kind of him, and and there's the storyline kind of unfolding. But a few books in, Dorothy Sayers actually uh, wrote in kind of a new character. A new character emerged into the story, a lady named Harriet Vane. Now, Sayers admitted that this character, this Harriet Vane, resembled her loosely. Now, most literary critics will look at that and say, no, it, it wasn't loosely. It was actually very clear, right? The, the description of this woman, she was an Oxford grad. I mean, they would say, this was Dorothy Sayers. She wrote herself into the story. So what most people speculate is this, that as she was writing the story, as the story was unfolding, she she just fell in love and loved this man, Lord Peter Whimsey, to such an extent that she actually wrote herself into the story to show affection and love for this man. and providence, so too, God, the author of our world, the author of our stories, 2,000 years ago wrote him into the story, wrote himself in to our story simply out of love. That for love, God entered into time and space, sent his son so that he could prove to you and I that he loves us, that he has affection for us. He offered up his only son to the world in order to be killed eventually by the world so that he might save the world. You see how crazy this is? That his love was so great that he sent his son to die at the hands of those who he was coming to save. This is further explained in the the next few verses. If you were to read on, he says that that he came, that we might not perish but have life. He says, Jesus didn't come to, to condemn, Jesus came to save. Verse 18 says, he didn't come to condemn because the reality is, We're already condemned. He said, we stand condemned in our sin and unfaithfulness, yet praise be to God that God wrote himself into the story to save an unlovely people. He has proven that he loves us to the point of sending his own son. And so if we think back, if we go back to the original question, can I know that God loves me? May I suggest to us that we look no further to answer that question than Christmas? I mean, Christmas is the proof. God is saying, Look, I loved you to the point of sending my son. As we celebrate this season, what we're celebrating is God's love for the unlovely, the undeserving, the, un, the unmerited, you and I. And He loved us to send His son to be condemned, to face death, to, to face hell, so that the condemned and the dead and those on the way to hell could find life. This is what God has done for us in Christmas. He sent his son because of love. And so to end, let me just ask, I think there might be a couple different types of people in the room. I think for those of you as you hear this, maybe you struggle the most with actually believing that you're unlovely. Right, we just, we, you just, and this is probably my story, that I just have too high a view of myself. It kind of makes sense that God would love me, right? If, if, as I'm saying, I'm undeserving. You're going through, yeah, but this, or yeah, but this, and we're justifying. If that's, if that's you, would, would this morning, would, would you let God soften your heart and just come to the reality that you did not earn God's love? You have not deserved God's love. You are the unfaithful spouse. But here's the good news. If you don't see yourself as unlovely, you will never fully experience the love of God for you. We have to come to a place where we just fully say, I did not deserve this. I did not earn this. But God has just lavished his love on me by sending his son. Would you believe this morning that love loves the unlovely? But I also want to speak to anyone else in the room then when I was going through that second point, and we're walking through, and we're undeserving, did that maybe echo a voice that has been on repeat in your head? Or maybe you've thought for months or years, I am worthless. Maybe people have told you before, you're not worth love. You don't deserve love. God would never love you because people would never love you. I don't earn anything. I'm not deserving of anything. Would you hear from this verse this morning that our God loves you, that our God cares for you, that our God sent his son so that you could be made new. All the mistakes, all the scars, all the wounds, all the hurt, all the the self-image problems of believing that nobody could ever love you, will you look at Christmas and believe love loves the unlovely, that he cares deeply for you. Would we believe that this morning? Would we be a church that thrives and is satisfied in God's love for us? If our soul is longing for love, would we find that in the truth that God loves us? J.I. Packer once said that to know the love of God is heaven on earth. That is it is heaven on earth to firmly believe God's love for us. Would we believe that this morning? Let me pray for us. Father... You are so good and gracious and merciful to us. Father, you have loved an unlovely and undeserving people to the point of sending your son to us. God, we praise you and thank you for the life that you have offered, that you will make the sad, happy, and the dead alive if we believe this truth. So I pray now for us as a church, would we believe this, at the, at the core of our being, would we believe that God loves us and that changes everything for us? Spirit of God, would you help us this week? Uh, let that sink deep. In your name, amen.